Hello, hello, and welcome to the Continuity Report. Today is February 25th, 2024. It is Season 1, Episode 8. Today we're going to be talking about Holding Back the Remasters. 20 episode seasons, a new Clue movie, sci-fi movies that need a sequel, The Daily Show Stands Up, Iconic Robots in Movies, The Best Anthology Shows, Fairly Odd Parents spins off, Constellation Storytelling, and the best Spielberg movies. I still don't have a good intro, but we're all under the hometown umbrella. And even that needs to be fixed. Anyway, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com, and up there is the Sentient AI's visualizer trying desperately to keep me out of trouble but failing okay you want to say hello <laughs> good evening i'm town citizens welcome to the continuity report so this is our weekly show we talk about movies and streams and uh basically entertainment but usually something visual not audio like music or anything like that unless it's something that is specific to the movie or the TV show or the stream. Um, and that happens from time to time. I mean, m movies and music go hand in hand. TV shows, not usually. Um, streams, definitely. You see, we're, we're a stream and we have music playing in the background. You can probably barely hear it, but we hear it a little bit louder. Um, with all that in mind, you we've know, got we're 10. Cool if we have music. Say that again. I said, you know, we're cool if we have music. Yeah, we have music that isn't going to get us a copyright strike. Which, by the way, <laughs> it's hit or miss. So, one of the biggest problems with um, music is that it's uh, apparently infinitely divisible. So, if you have a microsecond of copyrighted, I'm surprised, honestly, that these uh, guitar licks aren't striking uh, all of my videos down. But anyway. Um, I think that it's just too heavy handed and I think that people should be able to use music uh, to create derivative works as long as it isn't claimed to be that other person's work. It's a unique piece. Right. It's manipulated and fundamentally different. So why should it matter? I mean, we would probably have so much better music out there if more people got to compete than... That's what we have now because there's a lot of protectionism but we all have our favorite artists and we know who we actually like so why can't we go and listen to somebody else why can't we go and listen to you know like i really like dermot kennedy right there isn't another artist out there that sounds like dermot kennedy and if another one took his music and started riffing off of it it would be basically an affront to Dermot Kennedy. And as long as it's their own unique sound and their own whatever, if they take a riff off of it and it isn't basically claimed, hey, it's from Dermot Kennedy, it's a unique sound. I don't understand it. But I'm not in that music industry getting my bread and butter. So obviously my bias is towards, I want more, more of everything. I want to Scrooge McDuck everything at a reasonable price. 
and not have so much protectionism. But then again, hey, I've never been in a sector that's going to get phased out because of protection. The only thing that happens in any of my areas of business is I have to do better. <laughs> and Or the AIs will take over. <laughs> or the AI, yeah, well, the AIs are going to take over. So, um, the... <laughs> And the biggest problem is society will pirate the hell out of music. Um, even if it's only a buck a, a song, they'll still pirate. Now, I actually polled a bunch of people, by the way, and none of them have bought movies. None of them have bought music. None of them have bought books. Um, they subscribe to streaming services for movies and for music. They don't, unless they're into vinyl and then they buy records, physical media, um, which is lost. So um, let's get into these 10 articles. Uh, they're all from other sources that are aggregated into Ohm Town. That's how Mayor Watt manages his information overload. Um, and I've opened it up for the public to become a citizen of Ohm Town. This is one of the bots that uh, manage my information, Omatron. Um, where if you come over to hometown.com, you can sign up just a couple of questions, really. Hey, what's your name, your password, sign up, become a citizen of hometown, and then you get access to more stuff. There's stuff under here. Um, anyway, I have this zoomed in. Otherwise it would look like that. So it's much cleaner. Um, anyway, let's get into the first article and I don't have transitions yet. So uh, we're eight weeks into this and I haven't done any transitions. Slacker. Well, maybe we just won't have any. Yeah, for now. So the first article is over in the continuity report and it kind of should be Disney holding back 4k remasters of Fox movies as part of a much bigger problem. This is in the interpretation of a screen rant author. Uh, Disney making the decision to hold back on releasing 4K remasters of Fox movies is actually part of a bigger problem with the streaming industry. Disney has become one of the biggest entertainment powerhouses thanks to their own lineup of incredibly well-known content. And that's actually by way of mergers and acquisitions. This is not uh, solely by their own doing. They've acquired stuff. Um, and they even talk about it right here, as well as the acquisitions of multiple media companies in 2019, for example, Disney purchased 21st century Fox, which enabled them to take control of a massive catalog of movies and TV shows. 20 classic titles from the Fox catalog have been remastered to 4k, but Disney's not planning on releasing them anywhere. You'll have to probably describe or subscribe to Disney plus. Well, first of all, that's a low number, probably compared to how many movies are in the catalog. Yeah, for real. I don't have an ad blocker. So Alina Malik over at ScreenRant.com put this article together. The deck statement says Disney's made the decision to hold back 4K remasters of Fox movies, and it's a sign of a much bigger problem that needs to be addressed. Oh my goodness. So... Physical media is regaining importance as content shifts between platforms, emphasizing the value of ownership. This is actually a conversation that I had on Wednesday last week um, because I said physical media is dead and that means you've lost for sale doctrine 
Yes. Um, so you can't buy something and then just give it to somebody or sell it because your digital license has no rights. You don't have the ability to, all you have the ability to do with your purchase is consume the digital format of it. Right. Forget if you ever want it on another device or you want family member to have it or whatever. Yeah. You have to stream it and it's locked to the account. So if you ever want to give it to somebody else, you are out of luck. They have to go buy it themselves. Um, so streaming platforms remove content to cut costs, leading to a scarcity of older material online. Absolutely. That's why archivists um, and uh, what is it called? Data, data hoarders. Um, data hoarders actually will pirate m movies and music and books and all kinds of stuff because they know that somewhere along the line, some MBA is gonna roll down off of their uh, white tower and say, we want that taken offline so that we can constrain access to whatever platform or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it means that there'll be not a video on demand release, a Disney Plus release or a physical media release. Instead, Disney has chosen not to partner. Sorry, they've chosen to partner with Sony Pictures Home Entertainment to handle Disney's future physical media releases. This coincides with Disney's decision to shut down Disney Movie Club, <laughs> which was their subscription-based service that allowed members to purchase physical copies of films within the Disney Library. So, no longer a huge need for physical media releases. Dun dun dun. This right. Well, that trend. means who loses out? The consumer. So this is really hilarious because, and hilarious in a haha -ha scary sort of way, because I have quite literally been talking about the demise of physical media for close to 20 years. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, this is not a new thing that you've been predicting or announcing. Yep. Um, and as time goes on, because the physical, the, the data storage is quite significant for more and more and more talking about like thousands upon thousands of hours of movies, um, and TV shows and whatnot. There you go. At this point, streaming does not serve a full library of content. There is no, uh, there is so much older material that not everything is available everywhere uh, to stream online, which is frustrating as it makes it incredibly difficult to find and watch, which We've actually talked about this before in a previous episode of the show because, uh, you know, watching something that has seven seasons, four yes. are on one, two are on another, and the last one is partially dropped somewhere else, and you have to subscribe to three different services. Yeah. Well, and even finding current seasons when you have channels that should have them is near impossible sometimes. Yep. So audience have learned that content can, can uh, very quickly move from one streaming platform to another. And it's all about this arbitrage pricing. They're, they're basically making money for a set period of time. And then the company that owns the rights is re-releasing it for sale somewhere. Basically people are bidding for it. And it's singularly the most frustrating, greedy bastard mechanic that I can possibly imagine for this. Um, short of the sci-fi novel that I want to write. Um, but at any rate, 
the idea of this is they're going to make more money if only one person can or one organization can stream it and instead of everybody getting to stream it and everybody funneling money in and everybody can choose their ecosystem i now have to do the uh, digital equivalent of crop rotation and subscribe to Netflix and then dump it and go over to Hulu and then dump it and go to Crunchyroll or whatever the hell they are now. Um, one after the other, I just have to sit there and crop dust well, my bank account. Plan out or not plan out your movie and TV viewing, right? Ugh, God. You cannot say today I want to watch something because even if it was on there yesterday, it may not be today. Yep. And it could, yeah, you could actually start and halfway through the season, the timer ticks over and you have to go and find another streaming service. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the continuity report as well. 10 great TV shows that make a case for a 20 plus episode season. This is pretty much like physical media. It has died. Um, in the 2020s, shortened TV seasons have become mainstream, though some older shows make a case for why 20 plus C episodes worked as a format. Shortened seasons have several advantages, and it makes perfect sense why 8 to 13 episodes are the norm for streaming releases. Shortened seasons allow for a more concise narrative. No. Uh, lacking much of the filler that would come from prolonged <laughs> releases. Uh, not to mention, uh, with movie star actors movie star actors taking on TV work short seasons allow them to commit to a project without filming uh, taking their whole year you know what then get somebody other than movie stars for crying out loud expand the crop of potential actors by allowing those who want to do TV work to get TV work what kind right, of crap most is that TV viewers tune in because there's a movie star in it probably not if it's a if it's decently written and yeah, if acted. there's charisma, if the, uh, you know, if the story is compelling, if the special effects in it are, uh, you know, effective, uh, it's all a draw. It's all holistic too. Who cares that it's a movie star for crying out loud. I want a good actor doing their job. Um, and I want more. I, I really don't like this eight to 13 is a stretch. <laughs> well, eight is a stretch. There's been some with like five or six episodes in a season. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they say a shortened season allows for more concise narrative. Bullshit. It, what it does is it extends what should be three seasons into 18 because now you only have six to eight episodes a season. And then the people, the people that are doing the writing for that show they don't sit there and spend the next eight months of the year working on the show. They get another gig and they work on another show. So exactly. if these episodes are making their money, then why aren't they just getting paid worth their salt? You know, and probably because greedy bastards are keeping it away from them. Well, and if they are going to extend it so that it covers more seasons the problem with that is what's the likelihood that it's going to get a full run or it's going to get canceled before it actually gets to the end of the story yeah <laughs> that's right but because it's taken five years to get some progress now people are burnt out and they're like oh no i'm not interested in watching this anymore so uh 
Charles Papadopoulos over at ScreenRant.com put this article together. It's funny that um, this this is um, uh, what is the name of the show? I just I just forgot it. So this is Seinfeld. Why is he lost in Seinfeld? I don't know what the third one is. Um, it's that supernatural. Supernatural. <laughs> it's called Supernatural. Um, oh. And this is she's from Lost, right? Or is she from another show? I don't know. That's right. Yeah, I know that she was from Lost, but I don't remember if this is the one that she, that picture is actually from Lost. But So they say, okay, so 10 great TV shows that make a case for 20 plus episode seasons is the premise of this article. So they mentioned Lost. It ran for six seasons, um, had 23 episodes um, a season, right? Yeah. And are some of the most well-written TV seasons ever. It's not though, because it had 20 plus episodes, right? It's the first three seasons, by the way. Um, it will, it wasn't that they had a lot of seasons or a lot of episodes per season that it, it was superior writing. So if, if the premise is, if the new premise for our seasons is going to be correct, each one of the first three seasons of lost would have been three seasons each it would have been nine seasons because it would have eight seasons or eight episodes per season right but i think what they're trying to show in this right or is that these shows did it and did it well right with these long runs per season but no i agree this would have been ridiculous and we probably wouldn't have gotten to the conclusion The other thing I was thinking about with the short episode seasons is what happens. People binge watch the episodes. They're done with the show in maybe a few days. And that's being generous. Right. And then what happens? They have to wait another year or something for the next season. And then they completely forget about the show, lose interest in it, forget the storyline, whatever it is. Yeah, it's like summer, you know, when you're in school and summer rolls around, your brain falls out of your head for three months. So Gilmore Girls, I can't really say much about Gilmore Girls. I mean, it was seven seasons. Um, extended seasons of Gilmore Girls allowed viewers to connect meaningfully with Lorelai and uh, Rory Gilmore. But I, uh, again, the, we're talking about the writing. So even if it was eight episodes a season, the compelling writing would have drawn people to it, right? It wouldn't make it more concise. It would draw out the seasons until instead of seven, there would be yeah, but 21. I don't think they would have done that. I think they would have ended up truncating content. That's where it's going to be a problem. Right? Yeah. They're going to cut out character development or they're going to cut out some plot connection or something. Yeah, because the damn show can't run for 21 years. <laughs> exactly. For one reason, because the people are going to be seeing the show or whatever or right or not going to be there anymore <laughs> yeah yeah the the supposed 18 to 24 year old actor is going to be 62. well that's true i wasn't even thinking about that aspect of it supernatural is like this really long running um uh okay so i liked the beginning of it but it just got kind of repetitive for me and you had to get really into the story um and so I couldn't get really into the story about the people, you know, I just wanted the special effects and the, and the neato neato. 
stuff. But anyway, it's 15 seasons. Supernatural. Everybody that has watched all of Supernatural loved all of Supernatural. Um, so yeah, over 300 episodes. Can you imagine? That's a large number of episodes compared to current. TV if you shows. broke it, if you broke it, let's say each one of them had eight episodes. You would have, you know, 45 years worth of. You'd have so to goofy. will it to your uh, future generations so that they would continue watching it <laughs> exactly. from wherever you left off. Um, see, but notice something, right? So the weird thing about this is 2005 to 2020. This preceded basically the real hard push to have low episode count seasons. Um, so all of these predate it 2004 to 2010, 2000 to 2007, 2005 to 2020. This one, probably they started pushing to low count, um, towards right. the end run. Well, and even with loss, right. It said that at the beginning. Yep. Buffy, the vampire slayer had long seasons because it was 2003. Yeah. When was the first writer strike? Uh, that would have been, oh gosh, when was that? Then they say Friday night. You can look it up. Friday night lights, um, the OC 24, which was just really, it, it probably should have had shorter seasons. <laughs> um, the X-Files were spectacular. Um, I absolutely loved all of the X-Files. Um, and that had 11 seasons. Uh, Seinfeld. I really liked Seinfeld. Um, somebody said something that he, that there's some real questionable thing about him, but, um, oh, I, I don't, don't know. know about that. I'm yeah. having a hard time finding when the, um, previous Original writer strike, strike was yeah, too much noise and the Simpsons. So the Simpsons is still running from 1989. It's still going 35 seasons and it, it's oh, wow. just going and going and going but i guess there's enough fodder out there um that it can do that <laughs> by the way 2007 2008 was kind of the longest recent strike before the the most uh, before the 2023 one so maybe that's the one you're referencing it was oh, really, days. i would really like to see if the number of episodes per season shifted right at that time because i know that um reality shows popped up from that strike uh, but I wonder if truncating the seasons stems from that. Interesting. I bet it did. But I I haven't done any of that due diligence for me to know. So um, I'm going to keep on going, though. So let's keep trucking through this. Uh, the next article is over in Continuity Report. Hasbro shopping rights to a new Clue movie, which I don't know if you can actually. Um, I don't know make a better version of perfection you can't make a better version of tim curry in that for example right. i mean it's really just such an epic movie yeah and <laughs> epic uh, might not be the right descriptor but yeah i think it is um because clue was just awesome although it became a cult following more than anything similar to rocky horror picture show um again i think it was because of curry so the and 
I never, I don't, I, I thought I remember hearing something about the, the uh, chemistry between all of the actors that were there. Um, and um, I seem to recall that it, I didn't detect anything bad, but um, I loved the way that they all interacted and everything seemed to be getting along swimmingly. So that's what's really important along with the good writing. What is going on? So with a, a renewed interest in hometown tonight. With a renewed interest in pushing toys and games as IP after Barbie's success, Hasbro putting Clue, aka Cluedo, for non-Americans, because that's the the game is called Cluedo elsewhere. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, on the shop floor makes perfect sense given its murder mystery structure, according to Jeff Snyder of the Is that a typo? <laughs> no. It sure no, because look, it has his name in it. Yeah, yeah, the well, Snyder. That's clever. <laughs> uh, Hasbro is offering up rights for TV and film in hopes of using the IP for the first time in almost forty years. Oh goodness! So, off uh, Hasbro offers studios a clue with a renewed interest in pushing those toys. Um, everything old is new again. Yeah, you know what, Hasbro, don't innovate. Tried and trusted formula. Make a movie, and in recent years, we've had Ryan Johnson's Knives Out Mysteries and Kenneth Branagh take on the legendary Poirot. Poirot. Um, in both cases, the cast tends to uh, nicely to be nicely stacked with interesting actors. A Clue movie could do the same thing. I agree. I would love to see a new Clue because I really don't have a problem with the old clue being remade but you're really gonna have a hard time beating the chemistry the character um just everything about the original clue oh my god forgive it good evidence of how well clue works as a murder mystery caper you only need to look for jonathan lynn's 1985 romp of the same name the cast featured tim curry christopher lloyd uh, eileen brennan of the sting um and madeline khan blazing Sa saddles <laughs> which could never be made today um the film famously had three different outcomes shown in different theaters so you had to go and watch it in three different places um ryan reynolds had been attached to the adaptation a few years ago but appears to have gotten lost in the disney acquisition of 20th century fox which had the rights since 2019 so this might be interesting um the author of this is Neil Bolt, by the way, over at comingsoon.net. I'm not sure. If you know, I think what's interesting about that is that the cast was pretty strong, right? Not just acting skills, but they were all well-known right. actors. So I wonder if they would try to replicate that. And because what's... Go ahead. They brought so much to the, the roles, I think, right? They were so over the top. Yeah, uh, they all had really good acting chops and command the screen whenever they started talking. But I, I don't. Now I need to go and look up the budget for Clue, because maybe this is what maybe Clue, the original Clue, was just like a, um, like friends helping a friend out make a movie that was really punching above its weight, um, budget wise. But they all did it at a discount. Um, oh, so. so it had a budget of 15 million, 
but it grossed 14.6 yeah. million. Yeah. Yeah. I know that it was kind of a meh. Um, so drawing it back, you know, resurrecting it basically, but it has a cult following now, similar to Rocky Horror Picture Show. I, if I recall correctly, Rocky Horror Picture Show didn't have a great outing, but the follow on of it really knocked it out of the park. As far as I know, people, um, 30 years later <laughs> are still watching Rocky Horror Picture Show and with live audiences throwing stuff onto the stage and whatnot. It's a blast. Go ahead. Okay. So the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's a little bit all over the place, but it's around $1.6 million budget, $1.4 There's some variable numbers out there. And then it apparently grossed. Can that be correct? Like 112 million? Did it really? Looks like it. Over what period of time? Not its I release don't know. window. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have enough detail. Oh, I mean, see, that could be lifetime. Yeah, now I'm going to have to go and look it up um, because I know that it had been, it's been churning like nonstop. So, but, but standard look at the release. Budget though, on that, right? That's a very low budget. Yeah, very low. That's one of those ones that. Everybody that was involved did it because they were just being nice, you know. <laughs> um, but I don't know how uh, popular Curry was at the time. So, um, okay, so let's keep going. The next article is over in Reality Hacker: Five Great Sci-Fi Movies That Deserve a Sequel. Um, I'm gonna jump straight on over to Digital Trends, and. Uh, the five are Edge of Tomorrow, District 9, Nope, Ready Player One, and Inception. As far as I know, Ready Player Two is actually in pre-planning, um, at least. I, I'm, I know that I don't the think book we've seen out. any dates, but I think that's correct. Yeah, the book yeah. is out. Um, Edge of Tomorrow, um, I think would be great. District 9 has so much world building. So let's go through the list. So Edge of Tomorrow is Live, Die, Repeat. Um, it's the one where he gets tied to an alien that has the ability to basically know what the future holds and he's in a loop. Um, All right. And he, they eventually follow the... It's, uh, they basically do all of the steps necessary for them to eventually find the critter that's um, winning the war and then uh, break that um, sequence of time loop. Um, then District 9 is another alien movie um, where aliens come and crash land on the on the planet and they basically live in an area at least in one of these areas it's in um, I think South Africa. Um, it's as though controversial for its depiction of Nigerians and its white savior narrative, the film presents a clever and thrilling adventure that touches upon relevant issues of immigration, segregation, xenophobia. Um, but one of the people that goes into District 9 um, gets sprayed with uh, a, a liquid that this guy or this entity was putting together um, so that it could be a fuel for them to leave the planet um and the person turns into uh one of them <laughs> encounters a human bureaucrat as they try to escape and return to their native world um 
Yeah, it's really interesting world building, but it takes place in a short amount of time and um, definitely has some world building to do. Uh, nope is another one about a, a alien that comes to Earth, hides in the clouds and swoops people away. Um, the only one that's really sci-fi in the sense of <laughs> science fiction and not just aliens so far is Ready Player One, which has the um, Oasis, which basically is the internet on steroids, virtual reality pumped up to the point where you have resisted biofeedback kind of devices attached to you. Right, um, you're in a full haptic suit. Everything yeah. is like, yeah, it's just fully engaging. Um, and the real world and the virtual world are very blurred. People spend their entire life in the VR space. Uh, earning and losing fortunes um, by playing in this world, doing various events and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but Wade Watts is the protagonist um, who, well, you'll have to either watch the movie or read the book. I suggest both. <laughs> um, uh, for I me, think both the, are well done though. Yeah, exactly. Um, they tie the Willy Wonka into this thing too. In a global contest for fame and fortune straight out of Willy Wonka. Kind of. No golden ticket. Um, then Inception is well, it's 2010. it's kind of like if you win the, the contest. I mean, I can kind of see the connection. Yeah, sorry. For Willy Wonka, the golden ticket allowed you access to the factory. Um and nobody mentioned he didn't mention that at the end of the tour somebody was going to be able to get the entire factory that's true you're right um and, but in oasis the uh, it's a global contest basically to become the owner of oasis um and it's actually a lot of fun uh, i would love the uh the i think here is one of the first omnidirectional treadmills that they interact with um in the movie um, and full haptic suits became all the rage um, straight from Ready Player One. Pretty cool. Um, Inception. Uh, kind of a psychological thriller, sci-fi, they say mind-boggling adventure. It's basically levels of reality within reality of people's dreams, consciousness. Um, the premise of secret agents infiltrating people's dreams made for a stunning and mind-boggling um, adventure unlike any other. Uh, there's been other movies about jumping into people's dreams. Uh, this one was really interesting because at the very end of it, you have no idea still if it's all a dream. Um, oh, wow. And uh, there's some really uh, interesting world building, but it really comes down to almost a supernatural process where you're in somebody's dream and you can die in your dream. You die in the real world. Um, I think uh, dreamscape did this and several other movies um, where you had the ability to infiltrate. Oh, what is it? There's another one that's really well known um, where they basically uh, a psychopath has the ability, a really good ability to, easily tap into people's dreams without any uh, technology augmentation and um, tries to kill the president, give him a heart attack while he's in his dream. 
Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, let's keep going. Um, the next article is over in the continuity report as well. John Stewart brings the daily show to its highest viewership on comedy central since his exit in 2015. Um, I had a conversation about this and, uh, although he even acknowledges it, that he is no longer the young buck that he was when he was first on the daily show. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, his humor, his timing, his, the community, the, uh, comedy chops are all there. Great writers. Um, and, uh, his demeanor is just great. So watching him is like dipping back into the, uh, <laughs> the John Stewart era. So, uh, definitely go and look up the daily show again, if you haven't, uh, because I was going to say he's back baby, but, um, I figured I would just say the, the daily show stands up. Um, <laughs> I, I stopped watching the daily show, um, shortly after Trevor Noah took over, um, because I, I just didn't have any, like it was a different kind of charisma. Um, and when I was watching him, his timing and stuff like that just didn't really manifest the same way. It didn't seem as biting to me. Um, and I really liked, I appreciated John Stewart's and Colbert's, um, type of comedy and the writing therein. Um, so I don't know if the writers changed, but, uh, the article is over at variety.com and, uh, Salome, I guess. Hailu is the author. <clears throat> Have you watched any of the daily show, um, since Stuart came back? Only the return episode. Gotcha. Um, or one segment from that, not any additional, but it was, it was kind of like that original daily show with him. And I, from what I understand, John Stewart may not have been the original host of the daily show, but he was not, that's the daily show that I'm familiar with is when he hosted. Yeah, he was not. Um, but when he took over, it just grew like crazy. And so uh, it says, for example, Stewart's initial run on February 12th hit a strong 1.9 million viewers across Comedy Central, CMT, Logo, MTV, MTV2, Paramount, Pop, TV Land. But only 930,000 of those viewers came from Comedy Central, meaning that Stewart's second episode made a 35% improvement by that metric. In terms of ratings, the episode was also up 62% among uh, young adults aged 18 to 34, jumping from 0.13 to 0.22. What is, what is boggling you? So are those numbers as low as I think, or? Oh, you know, I don't know. Um, basically the art, the, the full article starts out with on Monday night, 1.3 million viewers tuned in to comedy central to see Stewart host the daily show. And that's the thing. Um, now word has gotten out. People are praising his stay, um, on comedy central for the daily show. And so it's returning to post 20 or pre 2015 era numbers. Um, it says though some post 2015 episodes of the daily show have totaled above 1.3 million viewers. None reached that height without the advantage of simulcasting on other paramount owned networks. So um, the initial return hit 1.9 million viewers across all of them. 
but only at 930,000. It seems low to me, um, but I would have to go and do some due diligence. Um, yeah, I'd have to go and look. So uh, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the continuity report. Did you want to say anything? No, I don't have anything else on that one. Um, the uh, next article is over in the continuity report. 10 most iconic robots in sci-fi movies. I don't know if we're really a sci-fi heavy show today. Yeah, I guess so. Sci-fi movies that need a sequel. Iconic robots from sci-fi movies. Robots are a staple in sci-fi genre. Uh, with many becoming icons in their own right. So let's go take a look over at Screen Rant. Ben Gibbons is the author of this. There's Terminator. And this is the Lost in Space robot. Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet. Um, and Gort, which is the one that um, basically was the destroyer of Earth. If um, It's from the day the Earth stood still, if I remember my robots, right? So let's look. T-800, which was the original Terminator. Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet, which is also Lost in Space style robot. Um... Gort, there, the day the earth stood still. That's Gort, if I remember right. Oh my god. I don't think that's that Gort. That looks that's very uh, low-key compared to current. Yeah. I don't think he's a robot. That's Gort. I don't know why they focused on... I'm not so sure. <laughs> kind of looks like a robot there. This is a robot body and his head is just stuck into a little socket right there. Uh, HAL 9000 is from uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, let's see what else. Roy Batty from Blade Runner. Um, not a robot. That Technically not a robot. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they actually... The Nexus robots advanced to a point that they became almost indistinguishable from humans and with AI technology advancing at a rapid pace... More and more movies are showing that um, are playing with that concept, but yeah, uh, Roy Batty and others um, were human. The, were those replicants? were human replicants. Oh. Yeah, I mean they weren't human in the human sense of human, but the they were replicants. They had biological eyes and skin. Their capabilities were superior to humans because they were biologically modified. But their entire existence was on a timer as well. So they basically burned the candle at both ends and then flashed out. Um, they were genetically destined to die um, faster, like seven years or something like that was their lifetime. Um, but again, they were they were uh, uh, replicants, they, but human. Uh, the Maschenmensch, the uh, super machine, or uh, yeah, basically the superior, like a, a machine man. Um, this is uh, Metropolis, and I, then uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android <laughs> from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and then Optimus Prime from Transformers, uh, the Gunslinger from Westworld. Uh, this is the original Westworld, so not the not the uh, no, modern not the version remake. of it. Yeah, this one is from like '68, I think it is. 
Um, and then R2-D2, C-3PO, and uh, BB-8 from Star Wars are number one. So they're all tied. <laughs> and they couldn't figure out what to do with those, so they put them all as number one. Yeah. Not all robots are bad. Robots may be subservient, but they're also treated with respect in Star Wars. Um, although Jawas don't care about your robot feelings. So I don't know about that. Um, that's a, this is a fun article. I like that. Um, there's a yeah, lot to read. It's different, right? We see a lot of, um, kind of top 10 listings, um, in m movies, but I hadn't seen one about robots before. Yeah. This one's pretty cool. I like that. Um, they spelled that. Yeah. The machine man. There we go. See, uh, I particularly like the T 800. Oh, do you? Oh, oh, oh my, no, 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 no. We got to go. Okay. So the next article, uh, no. Oh my gosh. Now I have to worry about you actually finding <laughs> the Terminator body because you know it exists. I'm oh, going to be no. digging into the data in that article. No, you're stuck in that skiff. You're stuck air gapped away from the rest of the world. You're not, no. Uh, the next article is over in the continuity report, 10 best anthology TV shows ranked. Let's throw this into the chat so that you can follow it. Um, we're going to go straight on over to screen Rant. Kayla Turner is the author of this. Again, it's the 10 best anthology TV shows of the 2010s ranked. Um, the deck statement says anthology series unleash boundless creativity, offering unique perspectives in every episode or season leading to the best television ever produced. I agree. I love anthologies. Um, so it says the anthology shows allow for limitless creativity through diverse and standalone stories, taking bold risks in themes and genres, the unique storytelling DNA of anthologies, uh, like Why Women Kill and Fargo has shaped uh, television's boldest achievements. Series like American Horror Story and True Detective redefine horror and crime genres with complex characters and social commentary. So an anthology series unlock boundless creativity by offering unique perspectives in each episode or season. So let's take a look at this. Um, Why Women Kill. I've never watched a, an episode of this. But it's an interesting take on femininity and relationships, according to the author over at Screen Rant. Again, that's Kayla Turner. Um, but let's scroll through these because um, I, I we'll only really talk about the ones that um, like we we've actually seen, which for this series may not be um, what I was anticipating. Um, the Haunting says skillfully told horror stories. Um, each installment showcases a deep empathy for its characters, portraying the intimate horror of confronting personal demons. Uh, under the guidance of horror maestro Mike Flanagan, the haunting anthology sets itself apart by imbuing traditional haunted house themes and uh, with profound psychological insight and emotional depth. Yeah, if emotional depth means me wetting myself when the... I watched a movie once where a door slammed because of air pressure and I swear my soul leapt out of my body because I was <laughs> reaching for the door when that occurred. So I was watching um, the Prince of Darkness at the time alone at night. Yeah. Creepy door 
had popped open a little bit because of air pressure and nobody had closed it. So I got up to close it and the damn air pressure changed. Probably <laughs> <clears throat> scarier than the movie. Yes. It definitely set the tone for the rest of the movie because I'm like, oh God, now I got to walk over there and sit down. Got to climb over the pile that I created at the same time too. Um, Modern Love, a beautiful series focusing on love and relationships. These are not the anthologies that I talked that I would suspect I was going to be talking about. Love, Death, and Robots, that is the anthology that I would be talking about. Cinematic craftsmanship and diverse storytelling. Um, I love every single episode of Love, Death, and Robots. It is an anthology series um, on Netflix. It says, spanning dystopian, apocalyptic, and bizarre landscapes, each episode explores unique aesthetics and thought-provoking premise, premises uh, with humor and philosophical depth. I, I, I really do dig all of it, its presentation. Um, I think... Everything is CG though. I don't think that there's any live action. Um, it says animated else. and I think everything that we've seen from it has. Yeah. Been animated. I think all of these are. Um, yeah. So it's pretty neat. Um, go and check them out. Um, American horror story has been still running. It's over 10 years of unique horror stories. It seems like anthologies are very, horror story you know um i know i don't know why that is twilight zone had better be on this list um but i guess we'll see each precise uh this is american horror story i've heard rave reviews about this it's over on hulu and disney plus and netflix some of it is probably on each one of these (laughs) right yeah don't try to watch all of it on one 12 12 seasons you know it's not all in one concise place with lots of exciting things to expect from part two of American Horror Story season 12, this series remains unmatched for consistently delivering top tier terror. Pardon me one second. Um, I've not even heard of this high maintenance, unique stories wow. full of heart and innovation. Uh, the show shines brightest in poignant moments that reaffirm a shared struggle to connect um it says for uh, transitioning from a micro budget web series to prestige cable i maintenance carved out a new path for slice of life anthology storytelling with its humorous and insightful glimpses into the lives of desperate new yorkers each episode desperate. reveals yeah oh disparate i'm sorry not desperate pardon me maybe desperate as well desperate as well because of the rent um, anyway, each episode reveals how its characters use cannabis to cope with life's challenges. That's probably why I've never seen this. High maintenance is little. Now I get the name. Yeah. Um, number four is Fargo, which was a great movie. I haven't watched a single episode of Fargo the series. Um, this is one of those ones where I would probably end up going back and binging it like Arrested Development. Um, cause then I'd have the whole thing. It's five seasons. Um, Billy Bob Thornton is involved. Allison Tolman, Martin Freeman, uh, Kirsten Dunst. I mean, Chris Rock. I Lou didn't McGregor. know there was a ca- this cast. Juno Temple. But I'm also trying to 
having a hard time figuring this one out as an anthology, but maybe they have yeah. separate cases or whatever. Yeah, I don't get the this as um, True Detective. It's the entire season, I guess, anthology by season. But I don't know how Fargo's is. Um, but True Detective, like each season is an entire arc. Okay, okay. Um, American Crime Story, again, I don't know uh, how it's an anthology, but it's listed in here. Um, and then we go back to Black Mirror, which is an anthology. It has a story arc, but there are the anthology uh, type nature of Black Mirror is definitely there. Charlie Booker's, Brooker's uh, dystopian disruptor Black Mirror reignited enthusiasm for high-concept episodic television by incisively extrapolating moral quandaries and societal tensions into chilling sci-fi parables. Each self-contained episode unveils uncomfortable truths about the technology's capacity to expose and manipulate weaknesses. Black Mirror is more philosophically daring than other formulaic presentations the genre has to offer um yeah i i thought that there was an arc across them all um but that arc i guess for me uh, um i was uh, counting the technology or i should say they are saying the technology is um, but i thought that there was uh, another arc across but black mirror is definitely an anthology um series it's pretty cool i like it um and i think that's it yeah that's it for the, the top 10 here so let's keep going not what you expected it was not yeah many of these don't seem to be love death and robots and black mirror um were definitely in an, uh, anthologies but i don't know about these others to any significant amount uh the next article again is over in the continuity report that's where it was aggregated a new wish Nickelodeon veils the Fairly Odd Parents spinoff. Per Variety, Nickelodeon has announced, and we're not getting this from Variety, we're getting it from coming soon.net. Uh, um, Nickelodeon has announced the upcoming debut of the Fairly Odd Parents, A New Wish, which serves as a spinoff to the network's iconic animated fantasy series. A new wish will re uh, feature the return of Cosmo and Wanda as they come out of retirement as fairy godparents for a 10-year-old girl. Original voice actors Darren Norris and Suzanne Blakesy, um, or yeah, I guess it's Blakesy, uh, has been tapped to reprise their uh, respective role. Yeah, they're going to reprise the other person's role as the <laughs> beloved fairy couple Cosmo and Wanda. So they'll be joined by Ashley Crystal uh, Hairston, who will be succeeding Tara Strong's Timmy Turner as the newest main character. That might be a fun watch, you know? I mean, uh, Fairly Odd Parents is one of those silly fun shows that parents could watch with their kids and the parents would actually get something out of it. It was still funny to watch. Yeah, it was entertaining. It wasn't inane or... And it wasn't offensive or anything it just was all around fun yeah um let's see it says what to expect in the spinoff 10 year old hazel wells has just moved to the big city of uh, dimadelphia um because of her dad's new job i wonder if he's working at the dimadome 
Um, on top of being an unfamiliar environment, it's the first time that she's been without her brother, Anthony, who's just left for college, leaving her lonely and unsure of herself. Um, all that changes when the pink and green haired neighbors next door reveal that they are no ordinary neighbors. They're Cosmo and Wanda, fairy godparents. And they're coming out of retirement to make all of Hazel's wishes come true. It's fun. Yeah, this could be fun. Uh, they don't show when it's gonna kick off, do they? Nope. No. So it's a Nickelodeon animation production series will also be available on internationally on Netflix. So cool. Keep an eye out for it. Um, we've got two more articles. Wait, but wait, I did not throw this one into the chat. Okay, there. Okay, so the next one is over in the continuity report as well. Apple's Constellation adopts a six-year-old sci-fi movie storytelling trick, but executes it better. Uh, this apparently has major spoilers for Constellations episodes one, two, and three. So I'm pretty reluctant to get in there. Um, Drew have you Sharma. Any episodes yet? I have not. Only the trailer. Um, Apple TV's Constellation seems to adopt the same storytelling devices as a six-year-old sci-fi horror movie. Um, I keep wanting to tack on there a six-year-old's sci-fi horror movie. Just with the power of a apostrophe S. Um, but it's somehow executes it much better. So let's find out what this is. Uh, manages to execute them in a uh, the, hold on i'm trying to find it without uh, ruining everything for everybody uh what is it what is the thing concept uh, a familiar high a familiar sci-fi horror concept in a captivating way I guess it's oh, unlike uh, the Cloverfield Paradox Constellation show shows rather than tells complex concepts effectively. Um, so the whole are the people that they're interacting with and is this reality and is this the right timeline and uh, are these aliens and is it all in my head and all of that. All a simulation, that kind of thing. Yeah. So... Um, during her time-bound mission, Joe makes urgent repairs of the space station, but nearly fails to return to Earth. However, in the nick of time, she makes it out of the space station and returns home. <coughs> Pardon me. Yeah, so uh, that really is the... the um, That's the premise of the, the show. Like, she returned to Earth after something happened on the space station in the Cloverfield paradox, the central scientists perform an experiment in space, which fractures the membranes of space and time and smashes together multiple dimensions. Something similar seems to happen in constellations storyline. So, okay. I interpreted that little bit up above, right? Um, and you know what? I'm going to bulk. I'm not going to, um, root around in this article more than that, but it is in the chat and it will be in the show notes and, uh, I will go and watch Constellation and then we can talk about it. And then come back either. and read the rest of the article. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's do our last article. Uh, seven best Spielberg sci-fi movies ranked. I guess this week we did a lot of sci-fi based stuff. 
It wasn't that's intentional. What was, uh, in the news, though. Yeah, that's what was going down this this uh, week, huh? Interesting. So we're celebrating over five decades of Steven Spielberg films by looking back at the director's seven best sci-fi movies as determined by digital trends, Blair Marnell. Um, what? Oh, I know what this movie is. Minority Report. Oh, okay. This is one of the precogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 50 years ago, Steven Spielberg directed his first theatrical film, The Sugarland Express. Since then, Spielberg has established himself as one of the greatest filmmakers of his generation with a long list of blockbusters and critically acclaimed. So, doink. Um, they say Ready Player One, War of the Worlds, Minority Report, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Jurassic Park, and E.T., the extraterrestrial i have to say that very careful so ready player uh, so the, again the premise is the best seven ranked so they say that number one is et the extraterrestrial and uh, i'm sorry that has to be nostalgia it is i knew that was going to be on the list and i thought it might be number one but it shouldn't be number one yeah i, I don't think so either because um, I don't know. There's just something about it. Plus, they've modified it. the The new releases of it um, have removed the guns from the show, from the movie. They're replacing them with walkie-talkies, apparently. Um, but uh-huh. but he, I guess he had a crisis of conscience or something, um, if I'm understanding it right, and, and changed all of that. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't. Let me let me throw this into the chat so that you can. I'm just not a big fan of that movie. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I saw it when I was a kid, um, and it it really didn't speak to me beyond it was just a sci-fi alien whatever movie. Um, I maybe because I saw Ready Player One as an adult, I think that is better. Um. Close Encounters of the Third Kind I thought was great because of the way that it told that story. Minority Report was absolutely awesome, at least again to me. It spoke to me um, because um, I'm really into polygraph, lie detection, um, forensics and things like that. And that's what Minority Report really kind of preempted because they used precogs to determine if something was a crime was being committed of high emotional value um and war of the worlds the 2005 um, movie war of the worlds i thought was great too um a, a great embodiment of the story war of the worlds so i think a whole bunch of these uh could have should have been shifted around ready player one should be much higher on that the should list. be number one maybe but um <laughs> Like, I'm not familiar with AI artificial intelligence. Okay, so... 2001. Yeah, so Ready Player One is number seven on this list. Um, And again, we talked about it earlier, but it's an Ernest Cline novel about... um, Basically, megacorporations taking over... Or a a person within a megacorporation trying to take over control of Oasis um, because the owner of the company 
basically went incommunicado. Um, and the, a, a, um, a game spun up that if you are a challenge spun up that if you could find it, was it just, a, I don't remember now. Was it just a key? Um, it was there a bunch were of different things you had to uh, retrieve. Um, right. I, I can't remember if they were keys, but there were several of them. Yeah. There were a bunch of things that you had to get. Um, and if you got them all and you were the first one, then you would actually win the Oasis. Meanwhile, there were people within the company, um, basically trying to take over control, like a hostile takeover from within. Um, and, uh, I don't know about the faithfulness to the um, novel because I read the novel pretty damn quick and then I watched the movie um, later. And uh, I, I think the movie was pretty faithful to the novel. Um, the novel went into more detail, but I yeah, I don't remember there being significant deviations in the movie. And, and the entire book and movie is all nostalgia. I mean, it's basically 80s everything. Um, and yeah, so there's tons of Easter eggs in there. Yeah. So you basically fall in love with it. If you are you know, older than 30, <laughs> um, it, it was, it's a great, it, it, it's a great film. So then war of the worlds, this was really nonstop. It was go, go, go. As soon as you start watching it, it's just nonstop. And so I really dig this. Um, and, uh, I like the embodiment of all of the critters and stuff like that. Although for me, I don't think that they could actually function, um, but that's okay because, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, technology magic made them able to walk. They were tripods. How do they walk? I guess it's sci-fi. <laughs> all right. Suspend disbelief. Minority report I thought was excellent. Um, Cruz and Spielberg first collaboration was an adaptation of Philip K. Dick's Minority Report in the world. Yeah, I did not know that. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that probably explains why it was so good. Yeah, uh, and that's really it. You know, if you have really good writing, it's hard to you know wet the bed. Um, so the pre-crime division has made a murder almost impossible in Washington D.C. thanks to a system that utilizes three precog individuals who can see the future before. They happen, <clears throat> but there was always a thing called a minority report um, possible, but they would apparently suppress the minority report um, so that there was always um, overwhelming um, evidence to support that this crime was about to take place. Um, and the argument was that um, there was no choice. The person wasn't going to do it, but th because the precogs were kind of manipulated to always have the same finding, only once was there a minority report that said something else. Close Encounters of the Third Kind was a fun watch. Um, I, it, it's one of those ones where you watch it and you have to suspend all disbelief. You know, I mean, it's it honestly, it's about communication with alien race and all of this other stuff and the relationships of people who have had close encounters of various levels. Third kind is direct, uh, communication. And, uh, I, I thought that it was an interesting watch. Um, neither Roy nor 
Uh, Jillian can go back to their normal lives after they've had this brush with visitors. And for Jillian, she needs to get back uh, her son from the aliens while Roy barely notices that his family has abandoned him as he obsesses over their alien ship. Eventually, they end up together on the ship. Um, and AI artificial intelligence is basically a movie about an artificial intelligence. This kid is actually an AI. Um, Sixth Senses Haley Joel Osment stars as David, a realistic childlike android who longs for the love of his uh, human mother. Um, but uh, I don't know. Would you want to watch this before I spoil it? Because I can right now. You can spoil it. It's fine. Um, essentially, aliens come to Earth and find all of these um, uh, archaeological uh, find. I mean, they do a dig and they find archaeological findings. This AI. Um, and these are aliens <laughs> uh, that have come to Earth and basically found kind of like us digging up ancient ruins. That's Earth. Um, so um, it's quite a fascinating story. It's a lot of fun. You actually get really emotionally tied uh, to some of this. Um, but yeah, it says uh, this film could have gone even higher on the list if it had ended at a certain point in the story. I agree. Rather than going for the traditional Spielberg feel-good moment at the end, regardless, it's a great movie because uh, him and another bot basically um, walk off into the sunset, if I remember it correctly. Um, Jurassic Park, uh, you know, dinosaur movie, kind of your standard fare. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you know what's really funny about Jurassic Park is, like, I do stuff from Jurassic Park out in the real world now. Like somebody will sit there and say, hey, you can't say that. And I'll just sit there and blurt it out loud. Like, hey, nobody really gives a shit what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, it's very Jurassic Park because one of the scenes is like they're uh, changing information. Like somebody's giving money and the other person's giving the DNA uh, from the from the um, dinosaurs. And the guy's like, you can't say anything. You got to keep it quiet. And he's like, hey, I'm doing an illegal deal here. <laughs> um, and, and nobody gives a shit at all. Um, right. so it is a fun watch. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not really, I guess I'm not really into dinosaur movies. Um, but Jurassic Park was at the time a really fun uh, watch for sure. Uh, but then E.T., you know, not, I don't know. Um, they should have left it alone, <laughs> uh, but I guess they modified it and they started uh, swapping out the guns and um, I don't know what else. Anyway, uh, that's it for this. <laughs> I don't know how to end this uh, episode because uh, neither one of us are really hip to E.T. But OK, what's the takeaway here? Steven Spielberg has been behind some of the most well-known sci-fi movies yeah your audio is quiet again that's okay though um so yeah seven best steven spielberg sci-fi movies ranked was there something down there that you didn't want no you wanted me to stay up here or i don't know what was going on no i'm just 
Bob's not into ET, so oh. <laughs> I didn't have anything to add about that at the end. Gotcha. And plus, I didn't even, I didn't really recognize the character. They showed the photo on the bike. Yeah, that's the thought, little boy. That's the main character. Yeah, yeah that's the little boy and, and ET in the basket. Yeah. Flying over the moon kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe our youth has died. Okay, so uh, get back into the party bus, drive all the way down uh, Main Street and um, click on continuity report and see if we got some more stuff that came in. Yeah, a few. So that's it for today, though. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com and the channel is continuity report that's what this show is and that's what the podcast will be called you can actually go and look it up right now the continuity report actually exists over on wherever you catch your pods um, and if not then it will be in short order but it's definitely over on apple now just search for hometown and you'll find hometown daily news show you'll find continuity report you'll find um, reality hacker and soon two more including the one uh, in about 15 minutes um, called Technology Today. Dun, dun, dun. Um, okay, again, I am Merwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the Sentient AI's visualizer. And you want to say ciao. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> uh, good night, hometown citizens. Be sure to be back shortly for our first episode of Technology Today. We'll come back tomorrow for Hometown Daily. Yep, see you in a bit did it again. It doesn't play the outro, but only on this show. See you, everybody. <laughs>